Hello, Odyssey students. This is Mrs. Beckstrand. I miss you. Wish we were together, but we'll try and do something that'll be second best. And we'll enjoy reading stories together anyway. I decided that maybe I could read to you some stories, some of my favorites from when I was young. I thought I'd start with a chapter book. I have some picture books I'm going to try and read with um, video, but for these recordings, I want to read to the um, a little bit older students. I'm going to read some of my favorite chapter books. We're going to start with The Trumpet of the Swan by E.B. White. And the copy that I'm reading from does have pictures by Edward Francino. So if you have a, and that's the one that most of us have. If you have a copy of that, you're welcome to follow along. Or you can get a copy at the library. Come in on Wednesdays. I'm there from 9 to noon if you want to swap out books or including library books or home reading program books. Okay, let's begin. Chapter 1, Sam. Walking back to camp through the, through the swamp, uh, Sam wondered whether to tell his father what he had seen. I know one thing, he said to himself. I'm going back to that little pond again tomorrow, and I'd like to go alone. If I tell my father what I saw today, he will want to go with me. I'm not sure that's a very good idea. Sam was 11. His last name was Beaver. He was strong for his age and had black hair and dark eyes like an Indian. Sam walked like an Indian, too, putting one foot straight in front of the other and making very little noise. The swamp through which he was traveling was a wild place. There was no trail, and it was boggy underfoot, which made walking difficult. Every four or five minutes, Sam took his compass out of his pocket and checked, checked his course to make sure he was headed in a westerly direction. Canada is a big place. Much of it is wilderness. <clears throat> to get lost in the woods and swamp of western Canada would be a serious matter. As he trudged on, the boy's mind was full of wonder of what he had seen. Not many people in the world have seen the nest of a trumpeter swan. Sam had found one on the lonely pond on this day in spring. He had seen the two great white birds with their long white necks and black bills. Nothing he had ever seen before in all his life made him feel quite the way he felt on that little white, wild little pond in the presence of those two enormous swans. They were so much bigger than any bird he had ever seen before. The nest was big, too, a mound of sticks and grasses. The female was sitting on eggs, and the male glided slowly back and forth, guarding her. When Sam reached camp, tired and hungry, he found his father frying a couple of fish for lunch. Where have you been? asked Mr. Beaver. Exploring, said, replied Sam. I walked over to a pond about a mile and a half from here. It's the one we see from the air coming as we're coming in. It isn't much of a place, nowhere as big as this lake we're on. Did you say anything over there? asked his father. Well, said, asked, said Sam, it's a swampy pond with a lot of reeds and cattails. I don't think it would be any good for fishing, and it's hard to get to. You have to cross a swamp. See anything? repeated Mr. Beaver. I saw muskrats, said Sam, and a few red-winged blackbirds. Mr. Beaver looked up from the wood stove where his fish were sizzling in a pan. Sam, he said, I know you like to go exploring. But don't forget, these woods and marshes are not like the country around home in Montana. If you ever go to that pond again, be careful you don't get lost. I don't like you crossing swamps. They're treacherous. You could seep, step into a soggy place and get bogged down, and there wouldn't be anybody to pull you out. I'll be careful, said Sam. He knew perfectly well he would be going back to that pond where the swans were, and he had no intention of getting lost in the woods. He felt relieved when he had, that he had not told his father about seeing the swans, but he felt queer about it, too. 
Sam was not a sly boy, but he was an odd in one respect. He liked to keep things to himself. And he liked being alone, particularly when he was in the woods. He enjoyed the life in his father's cattle ranch on the sweet, uh, on his father's cattle ranch in the sweet grass country in Montana. He loved his mother. He loved Duke, his cow pony. He loved riding the range. He loved watching the guests who came to board at the Beaver's Ranch every summer. But the thing he enjoyed most in life was these camping trips in Canada with his father. Mrs. Beaver didn't care for the woods, so she seldom went along. It was usually just Sam and Mr. Beaver. They would motor to the border and cross into Canada. Then there, Mount Mr. Beaver would hire a bush pilot to fly them to the lake where his camp was for a few days of fishing and loafing and exploring. Mr. Beaver did most of the fishing and the loafing. Sam did the exploring. And then the pilot would return and take them out. His name was Shorty. They would hear the sound of his motor and run out and wave and watch him glide down onto the lake and taxi his plane into the dock. They, these were the pleasantest days of Sam's life, these days in the woods far, far from everywhere. No automobiles, no roads, no people, no noise, no schoolwork, no homework, no problems except the problem of getting lost. And of course, the problem of what to do when he grew up. Everybody, every boy has that problem. After supper that evening, Sam and his father sat for a while on the porch. Sam was reading a bird book. Pop, said Sam, do you think we'll be coming back to camp again in a, about a month from now? I mean, about 35 days or something like that? I guess so, replied Mr. Beaver. I certainly hope so, but why 35 days? What's so special about 35 days? Oh, nothing, said Sam. I just thought it might be very nice around here in 35 days. That's the craziest thing I ever heard of, Mr. Beaver said. It's nice here all the time. Sam went indoors. He knew a lot about birds, and he knew that it would take a swan about 35 days to hatch her eggs. He hoped he would, could be at the pond to see the young ones when they came out of the eggs. Sam kept a diary, a day book, about his life. It was just a cheap notebook that was always by his bed. Every night before he turned in, he would write in the book. He wrote things about about things he had done, things he had seen, and thoughts he had, he had had. Sometimes he drew a picture. He always ended by asking himself a question so he would have something to think about while falling asleep. On the day he found the swan's nest, this is what Sam wrote in his diary. I saw a pair of trumpeter swans today on a small pond east of camp. The female has a nest with eggs in it. I saw three, but I'm going to put four in the picture. I think she was laying another one. This is the greatest discovery I have ever have ever made in my entire life. I did not tell Pop. My bird book says baby swans are called cygnets. I'm going back tomorrow to visit the great swans again. I heard a fox bark today. Why does a fox bark? Is it because he's mad or worried or hungry or because he's sending a message to another fox? Why does a fox bark? Sam closed his notebook, undressed, crawled in his bunk, and lay there with his eyes closed, wondering why a fox barked. In a few minutes, he was asleep. That's the end of chapter one. Talk to you tomorrow. Bye. Hello again. Chapter two time. The Trumpet of the Swan by Evie White. Chapter two, The Pond. The pond Sam had discovered on that spring morning was seldom visited by any human being. All winter, snow had covered the ice. The pond lay cold and still under its white blanket. Most of the time, there wasn't a sound to be heard. The frog was asleep. The chipmunk was asleep. 
Occasionally a jay would cry out, and sometimes at night the fox would bark, a high, rasping bark. Winter seemed to last forever. But one day a change came over the woods and the pond. Warm air, soft and kind, blew through the trees. The ice, which had softened during the night, began to melt. Patches of open water appeared. All the creatures that lived in the pond and in the woods were glad to feel the warmth. They heard and felt the breath of spring, and they stirred with new life and hope. There was a good new smell in the air, a smell of earth walking after its long sleep. The frog buried in the mud at the bottom of the pond knew that spring was here. The chickadee knew and was delighted. Almost everything delights a chickadee. The vixen, dozing in her den, knew she would soon have kicks. Every creature knew that a better, easier time was at hand. Warmer days, pleasanter nights. Trees were putting out green buds. The buds were swelling. Birds began arriving from the south. A pair of ducks flew in. The red-winged blackbird arrived and scouted the pond for nesting sites. A small sparrow with a white throat arrived and sang, Oh, sweet Canada, Canada, Canada. As if you were, and if you had been sitting by the pond that on that first warm day of spring, suddenly toward the end of the afternoon, you would have heard a stirring sound high above you in the air, a sound like the sound of a trumpet of trumpets, coo-hoo, coo-hoo. And if you had looked up, you would have seen high overhead two great white birds. They flew swiftly, their legs stretching, stretched out straight behind with their long necks straight stretched out behind, ahead, their powerful wings beating steady and strong. Coo-hoo, coo-hoo, coo-hoo! A thrilling noise in the sky, the trumpeting of swans. When the birds spotted the pond, they began circling, looking, for a pl- the, looking the place over from the air. Then they glided down and came to rest in the water, folding their long wings neatly along their sides and turning their heads this way and that to study their new surroundings. They were trumpeter swans, pure white birds with black bills. They had liked the looks of the swampy pond and decided to make it their home for a while and raise a family. The two swans were tired from the long flight. They were glad to be down out of the sky. They paddled slowly about and then began feeding, thrusting their necks into the shallow water and pulling roots and plants from the bottom. Everything about the swans was white, except their bills and their feet. These were black. They carried their heads high. The pond seemed a different place because of their arrival. For the next few days, the swans rested. When they were hungry, they ate. When they were thirsty, which was a great deal of the time, they drank. On the tenth day, the female began looking around to find a place to build her nest. In the spring of the year, nest building is uppermost in a bird's mind. It is the most important thing there is. If she picks a good place, she stands a good chance of hatching her eggs and rearing her young. If she picks a poor place, she may fail to raise a family. The female swan knew this. She knew the decision she was making was extremely important. The two swans first investigated the upper end of the pond, where a stream flowed slowly in. It was pleasant there, with reeds and bulrushes. Red-winged blackbirds were busy nesting in this part of the pond, and a pair of mallard ducks were courting. Then the swan swum swum to the lower end of the pond, a marsh with woods on one side and a deer meadow on the other. It was lonely here. From one shore, a point of land extended out into the pond. It was a a sandy strip like a little peninsula, 
and at the tip of it, a few feet out into the water, was a tiny island, hardly bigger than a dining table. One small tree grew on that island, and there were rocks and ferns and grasses. Take a look at this, exclaimed the female as she swam around and around. Coo-hoo, replied her husband, who liked having someone ask his advice. The swan stepped cautiously out onto the island. The spot seemed made to order, just right for a nesting place. While the male swans floated, while the male swan floated close by, watching, she snooped about until she found a pleasant spot on the ground. She sat down to see how it felt to be sitting there. She decided it was the right size for her body. It was nicely located, a couple of feet from the water's edge. Very convenient. She turned to her husband. What do you think? She said. An ideal location, he replied. A perfect place. And I will tell you why it's a perfect place, he continued majestically. If an enemy, a fox, or a coon, or a coyote, or a skunk, wanted to reach this spot with murder in his heart, he would have to enter the water and get wet. And before he could enter the water, he'd have to walk the whole length of that point of land. And by that time, we'd see him or hear him, and I would give him a hard time. The male stretched out his great wings, eight feet from wing from tip to tip, and gave the water a mighty clout to show his strength. This made him feel better right away. When a trumpeter swan hits an enemy with his wing, it is like being hit by a baseball bat. A male swan, by the way, is called a cob. No one knows why, but that's what, it's, what he's called. A good many animals have special names. A male goose is called a gander. A male cow is called a bull. A male sheep is called a ram. A male chicken is called a rooster, and so on. Anyway, by the thing to remember is that a male swan is called a cob. The cob's wife pretended not to notice her, that her husband was showing off, but she saw it all right, and she was proud of his strength and his courage. As husbands go, he was a good one. The cob watched his beautiful wife sitting there on the tiny, tiny island. To his great joy, he saw her begin to turn slowly around and around, keeping always in the same spot treading the mud and grass. She was making the first motions of nesting. First, she squatted down in the place she had chosen. Then she twisted round and around, tamping the earth with her broad webbed feet, hollowing it out to make it like a saucer. Then she reached out and pulled twigs and grasses toward her and dropped them at her sides and under her tail, shaping the nest to her body. The cob floated close to its mate, his mate. He studied every move she made. Now, another medium-sized stick, my love, he said, and she poked her splendid, long, graceful, or white, graceful neck as far as it would go, picked up a stick and placed it at her side. Now another bit of coarse grass, said the cob, with great dignity. The female reached for grasses, for mosses, for twigs, anything that was handy. Slowly, carefully, she built up the nest until she was sitting on a big, grassy mound. She worked at the task for a couple of hours, then knocked off for the day and slid into the pond again to take a drink and have a lunch. A fine start, said the cob, as he gazed back at the nest. A perfect beginning. I don't know how you manage it so cleverly. It comes naturally, replied his wife. There's a lot of work to it, but the whole, on the whole, it's a pleasant work. Yes, said the cob, and when you're done, you will have something to show for your trouble. You have a swan's nest, six feet across. What other burst bird can say that? Well, said his wife, he may, maybe an eagle can say that. 
Yes, but in that case, it wouldn't be a swan's nest. It would be an eagle's nest, and it would be high up in some old dead tree somewhat, somewhere, instead of right down near the water, with all the conveniences that go with water. They both laughed at this. They began trumpeting and splashing and scooping up water and throwing it on their backs, darting about as though they had suddenly gone crazy with delight. Goo-hoo! 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 They cried. Every wild creature within a mile and a half of the pond heard the trumpeting of the swans. The fox heard, the raccoon heard, the skunk heard, one pair of ears that did not belong to a wild creature. But the swans did not know that. End of chapter two. See you next time.